Good evening, everybody. We're going to start the book of Revelation. Actually, we're going to lead up to the book of Revelation. We might get a, two or three verses in before the night's out. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to share stuff. I've been a student of, of Revelation since 1988. Uh, been very aggressive over the years of studying this because I believe that God spoke to me, <clears throat> and even before I knew it with my mother, that I, I was going to be an end-time preacher. So I believe that uh, what we're going to study is very relevant, <clears throat> uh, no pun intended, to this generation. That's why we have this uh, hourglass here to remind us that we're living in that terminal generation. So we want to learn as much as we can. I've got a lot of new information, stuff I've never shared before publicly. So I'm still growing and learning. If the church is going to grow, the preacher's got to grow. Can you say amen? So uh, let's pray, and then I want to get into some stuff with you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, be in your word. <laughs> what wonderful word this is for all those who have ears to hear. Lord, that we should not shy away from any of your word. And so we're thankful, Lord, that you didn't leave us in the dark uh, with things to come. And not with this, just this book, but so many others in the scripture that tell us about the end of time. Here we sit, Lord, on the verge of that, and we're just asking you to help us to have the knowledge we need to navigate and be effective, not to be puffed up. And, and uh, we just pray that we'll grow as we study your word here in Revelation and that we'll be more like you when we leave in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to send a big blowout to... Uh, Remind everybody about starting Revelation tonight, but our text machine is, uh, has uh, been overtaken by Satan. So, who do you think uh, didn't want people to come and hear the book of Revelation, right? So, in fact, I'll read a couple of the first verses, right? It says, uh, uh, blessed, in verse 3 of the first chapter, it says, Blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it. We'll come back to that in just a minute. So you're going to have uh, two views uh, about when this book was written. And it's very important that we decide that. So we're going to decide it here tonight for the whole world. Uh, 95 AD has been kind of widely used. Uh, I don't take that view. I take uh, 65 A.D. and basically because of the scripture, not because of something that really wasn't said, but people think that he alluded to. Irenaeus, who was one of the church fathers, said that John was seen in uh, <coughs> um, the reign of Domitian. And now Domitian was reigning in 95. Well, that don't mean anything. That don't mean the book was written then, but most people have taken it. Uh, there was a little persecution under Domitian. Nothing like was under Nero. Uh, Nero uh, tied animal hides to Christians so the other animals would kill them. Uh, you know, all kinds of gladiators. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. He blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome in July of 64 basically tried to turn the whole culture against them. So I'm going to show you some things. We're going to pick some things out of Revelation 
to show you why this date, I believe, is correct. Uh, so, <clears throat> Irenaeus uh, shared that John was seen under the reign of Domitian, but he didn't say that that's when uh, Revelation was wrote. They just kind of took it that that was <clears throat> how that went. So, uh, let me give you something here from Tertullian. Uh, this was in the second uh, century. He, he was one of our church fathers. And this, I'm going to quote him here. He says, Since moreover you are close upon Italy, he's talking to some of his uh, cohorts, you have Rome, <clears throat> from which there comes even into our own hands the very authority of the apostles themselves. Uh, I'm glad they didn't text. I love how they spoke and wrote. <laughs> If they'd text, we couldn't understood any of this. How happy is it? Uh, how happy is its church on which apostles poured forth all their doctrine along with their blood? Now listen to what he says. Where Peter endured endures a passion like his Lord's, referring to his crucifixion, albeit upside down, they say. Where Paul wins his crown in a death like John the Baptist, where he gets beheaded, and where the Apostle John was first plunged unhurt into boiling oil, oil and there, and then was remitted to the island in exile. So uh, Nero was a horrible uh, ruler. And Rome was the main power at that time. Jerusalem was still up and running. It's important that Jerusalem was still up and running. I also believe for John to write what he wrote, especially in Revelation 11, when he talks about measuring the temple, all that stuff was done or gone in 70 A.D. So 95 A.D. Uh, would have been a stretch when you see all the things that took place and the things that John wrote. But I'm going to get real specific with you in just a minute and tell you why I believe that. Also, uh, there was a historian, uh, Tacitus, I believe is his name, when Jerusalem was ransacked by Rome and overrun in 70 A.D., Titus came in and overran and overthrew it. And the historian, uh, not Eusebius, um, who's the big Bible historian? Josephus. Josephus. I started calling Eusebius. Josephus talks about that time. He talks about how the Israelites were surrounded, how they even some of them turned to cannibalism and everything during that time. So it was a very difficult time. But uh, this Roman historian, Tacitus, uh, said he thought that it was the end of the world because of the apocalyptic writings of John and things that were going on. And you got Jerusalem, who was a major center for the whole world. They, they were, you know, even though Rome was the most dominant military power, Jerusalem was still very prominent. And so they, uh, they were concerned that the, the apocalypse was now. And you certainly could understand that when you see what happened was after Christ came and ascended back to the Father, if, you'll, you know, if you read your Bible, Christians used the temple too. It wasn't just the Jews. 
The Christians were using the temple. They were going to pray and just different things like that. A lot of miracles happened around the temple. So heavy persecution began with Nero. Paul was beheaded under him. Peter also was crucified upside down, they believe, which makes sense that John would have been heavily persecuted under Nero as well. Now, John could have been on the island when Domitian was reigning. He could have been there that long, 30 years, because they didn't want his influence. But it's, it's pretty clear, and I'm going to take you there now. If you'll go with me to Revelation chapter 17, why I believe that John wrote more likely 65 than 95. And this is interesting stuff. It's stuff that I've not really... Uh, delved into publicly before but I'm going to I'm going to get into it with you here in Revelation 17 let's go to verse 9 so he says he says here is the mind which has wisdom ask your neighbor if they've got wisdom <laughs> no and second thought just leave that alone uh, the uh, he said he says the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits now we're going to get into all this as we study, but we're talking about the harlot and all that stuff, this mystery Babylon. Nowhere in history is anybody referred to the city on seven hills except for Rome. So we have Rome clearly being identified here, all right? But then he goes on to something else, and we'll see that again in Daniel. We're probably going to go to Daniel tonight and see if we can get back into Revelation. He says... Uh, there are also seven kings. Now listen to what he says to John. Five have fallen, one is, and another has not yet come. So when John's writing, five of these rulers, or Caesars, Caesars you might want to call them, have already come and gone, and the one that's alive, the sixth one, is Nero. So that's pretty clear to me when John was writing. Because the Spirit's telling him that these five guys, starting with Julius Caesar and Octavian, Tiberius, Gaius, these are all <coughs> rulers of Rome. Julius Caesar basically turned Rome from a republic to an empire when he went in basically and took over the government and made uh, the Senate basically nothing, pawns. And, he, and so then you come through here. So he said, five have fallen. One, two, three, four, five, and one is, and then there's one to come. So it's pretty clear to me that John is writing and being persecuted, probably put on the Isle of Patmos under Nero, where he had this vision from the Holy Spirit, who writes apocalyptic stuff because Rome's getting ready five years later, give or take a few months, whenever, to come in and overcome Jerusalem. Jerusalem's going to be ransacked, right? And they're going to be scattered uh, around the world. So you can see this unfolding and developing. And so John is writing apocalyptic literature, and, and the world's getting copies of it. I mean, he wanted them to read it. What's said about this is being blessed to read. He wanted the churches, get it out to the churches, right? The Lord wanted to get it out to the churches, he wanted them to hear it. He wanted them to start seeing this apocalyptic literature. It's totally different than what he said to Daniel, didn't he? Daniel, he said, seal it up because the time's not right. 
not now. So when you look at <coughs> Rome, Rome <coughs> is in that image of, of in Daniel, right? Babylon. What's the next one? Is it Medes and Persians? All right. What's the next one? Greece? Is it Greece? All right. What's the next one? Alexander the... Rome. Rome was the next one. All right. Yeah, and then it's pretty clear how the legs represent West and East Rome and all that. Then you got these ten toes down here, the feet. And then you're going to see a lot of those tens and sevens and all that come up in the book of Revelation. So Daniel was a man before his time, but he was writing to the, his people. He said, let me tell you, Daniel, what's going to come on your people. Daniel was a Jew. So when you start reading through that, I believe that the Jews, when they start getting their eyes open to the real Messiah as a nation. Now, some of them are already Messianic, what we call Messianic Jews. But when the nation starts seeing that they missed the Messiah and they start realizing what's went on, I think going back to the book of Daniel and places like that is going to be essential for them. They're going to increase their faith, restore their faith, however you want to say it. So Nero is this sixth ruler that's around now. That's what, that's what the Bible's saying here. He says, you've got five that have fallen... One is, and, uh, and the other has not yet come. And I think we'll see, as we study this, that he's speaking of the Antichrist. And we're going to show you how the Bible separates the time of the Gentiles out from the Jewish stuff. And that's, that's why this hourglass is up here, because the time of the Gentiles started coming to a close when Jerusalem went back under the control of Israel in 1967. So we're, we're living on borrowed time, if I might would say it that way. Extended grace and mercy, however you want to call it. But we're, we're, there's a separation that's clearly made by Daniel in the book of Daniel. And so he says, uh, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not, I'll give you a little tidbit here, is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to partition. We'll clear that up. I know it's clear as mud right now, but we'll try to clear that up. We, I, we will clear that up when we come back to that. But what I wanted to establish to you first was that the book was written, I believe, in 65 A.D. because there is clear evidence scripturally that he's talking to John with these about these guys. So it's important that we're going to go back to Daniel during our study because we, we call it, theologians call it the revived Roman Empire, but the reason the, the old Roman Empire will come back together as one unit under the Antichrist is because it was never conquered. These other three empires were conquered. But the Roman Empire fell from within, which is what I believe this country is in danger of. Uh, you know, I think we're in more danger of collapsing from within then we are getting overrun with maybe somebody else's military. But if we collapse from within, then certainly that would give way to other a military to come in. So, analogia fetus is the word that I wrote up there. All right? 
that simply means that we should take the Bible and let it do its own commentary because it's trustworthy. You know, when I give you all an opinion around here, I make it clear that it's my opinion. I say, everybody, this is what the preacher says, right? So that's an opinion. But our best interpreter of the Scripture is, is the Bible. It interprets itself pretty well. The last part of that line, fetus, means faith or confidence. That We can have faith and confidence if we take the Logos and we compare it with other Logos in the Bible. The Bible is its best own interpreter. And Peter said there's no private interpretation, right? So you, there's, uh, there's three ideas about the rapture, right? What we call the rapture or the catching away or... Uh, Hapogasometha, the long Greek word that's almost as big as supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That word simply means to be plucked out, called up, raptured. The Latin Bible, which was written before the English Bible, uses the word rapture. We just borrowed a word, you know, and so we we have to translate things into our own word. But let's. There are three views who of the rapture that people hold one is that the rapture and you're going to see this that uh the bible is that the lord loves sevens right he loves the number seven and you're going to see a lot of that here in the book of revelation so what we'll see in daniel is we'll see him talk about this seven years of great, not just tribulation, but of great tribulation, right? And there's a seven-year period. And so people have, there's three views out there that the rapture takes place right prior to that. Some people believe it takes place in the middle of it, and some people believe it takes place at the end. <clears throat> but at the end, he's coming back with ten thousands of his saints. So I like what one preacher said. I don't know what good to do to go up there and do a wheelie and come back down. <laughs> but so <clears throat> Jude talks about that. So what I would say to you, because the Bible is of no private interpretation, two of those people are wrong. Two of them are wrong. Now, I'm a pre-trib. This is called pre-trib. I believe the rapture takes place before the seven years of tribulation. There's, these are called mid-tribbers. <clears throat> and I can see why people get caught up in that one because of some of the things that they maybe misinterpret uh, what I would say. This one I really can't see because you could pinpoint the day and the hour if you did it over here. So, And we know Jesus said no man knows the day nor the hour, right? So, with that thought in mind, I'm just going to take these two off because I'm a pre-tribist. And I'm a pre-tribist not because I'm an escapist. That's what they accuse pre Oh, you just don't want to go through the tough stuff. No, we all go through tough stuff. But I'm a pre-tribist because, once again, I believe the Bible interprets it that way. And some of my, two of my greatest... And that, uh, examples are David and Rachel and Leah. The Bible says Rachel, or excuse me, Jacob, 
married Leah first, which was the ugliest one, right? The Bible said she was tender-eyed, so that meant she wasn't as pretty as Rachel. <clears throat> All right, I'm not going any further than that, so nobody panic. I'm just leaving it there. All right. Uh, but then the Bible says he had to labor seven more years to get his first choice, which was Rachel, right? Now, don't get offended by this, but God's first direction was toward the Jews. But he's not going to get the Jews first. He's going to get us ugly Gentiles first. And then he's going to labor seven more years to open the eyes of the Israelites, the Jewish nation, and get Rachel, right? Why would they be prettier than us? Here's why. Because the Bible says they were adorned with all the things of God, and they blew it. Now, I'm not sure the church has done all much a big greater than they did, but we weren't given the same level of responsibility. We didn't get... So God's been faithful to us. I'm not saying that. So that's one. The other one is King David. Now listen to this. When he became king, the Bible said he ruled for the first seven years in Hebron. Not heaven, Hebron. And so then the Bible says that everybody that wanted him to be king went to him there. The ones that were on his side already and believed that God had anointed him to be king, they ascended to Hebron and, and, and recognized him as king. That's what's going to happen. We're going to go... Because when he comes back, we're going to go live with Jesus with our groom for seven years. We're going to the hoopah or the honeymoon chamber, which is a period of seven, a shabuah. I'll get into that, so don't get tore up about that. And, and we're, we're the ones that want him to keep, be king, right? We're the, the saved people, the redeemed. The world don't care. They don't even care about God anymore. They don't want him to be king. We're going to ascend to him there. And then guess what David did? After those seven years in Hebron... The Bible says he went to Jerusalem and usurped his authority over the whole nation. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come back with us and he's going to exercise his authority over the whole world in the new Jerusalem. So these are pictures and types. Not to mention that Jesus said, let's go to Luke chapter 21 real quick. In Luke chapter 21, this is my favorite passage about when Jesus talks about the end of time is Luke 21 because I think he's a little more explicit here about the rapture, alluding to the catching away or plucking out. In Luke 21, verse 34, listen what Jesus says. <clears throat> he says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, and I read this Sunday, drunkenness and cares of this life. He's really cautioning us not to get caught up in stuff, to keep our focus on Him. And he's talking about the end. This whole chapter is about the end of time. And he says that that day come upon you unexpectedly. Now, in other words, he had some level of expectation that it wouldn't come upon us unexpectedly. And then when you get over into Thessalonians chapter, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, Paul says uh, that it's going to come on a thief. And then he turns to the Christian and says, but, but you're not in darkness that that day would overtake you unaware. And then he says, you're going to know the season, right? We don't know the day or the hour, but we know the season. We know we're in that season. And then he says, for it will come on a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the heart. Now listen to his language. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. What things? The things he just told us about the tribulation period in Luke chapter 21. He said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things 
and will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So that's exactly what's going to happen. The, the true believer, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those of us that are alive will be caught up together. We're going to go stand before the Son of Man. We're going to go be with our groom, right? We're going we're gonna to be in the hoopah or the honeymoon chamber for a period of seven while the world's being plunged into great tribulation. There's going to be a lot of people. This is some bad teaching that people went around the church for years. It still goes around some circles. There's going to be a lot of people get saved during that seven years. John's pretty clear about that. We'll see that. A lot of the, the whole nation of Israel is going to turn back to God. But then John said, I saw a number that no man could number coming out of the great tribulation. That's the great tribulation. Out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. Redeemed. They've been redeemed. The problem, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, the problem with missing the rapture and waiting here to get right with God is it probably cost you your life. Because if you take the mark, you're doomed. So you, you don't want to take the mark, but you can't buy or sell. You can't buy a baby medicine or whatever, gasoline. So life's going to be very difficult. And then when the Antichrist starts turning on everybody then and, and the beheadings and all that stuff that goes on during that time. So I agree with what Paul says. Today's the day of salvation, right? I'm talking to you all that are watching us, and we welcome you tonight. Today's the day of salvation. You want to get right with God today. And if you knew when the Lord come would come, I said this uh, to a crowd Sunday night, if you knew when the Lord come and you had the attitude that said, well, I'll just do my own thing till it's time, which we don't have that luxury, but you don't love God. If you, if you have that attitude, you don't love the Lord. I'll just do my own thing. We're talking about relationship, right? We're talking about a husband and wife team, right? Between us and the Lord. So uh, Jerusalem it gets ransacked in 70 A.D. by Titus. He comes in and this stirs up the whole world because it's a major center. It's like a big city in our world today. If we turn around and tomorrow all of Chicago was destroyed, I mean, that would impact the whole world. So some things that are going on in this, uh, the other thing about the rapture, which I'm not going to break down tonight, is the seven feasts. Uh, we, we would certainly see that in there. Uh, but the, there is going to be a new Jerusalem and a new earth. Why? Because there's a need for a new Jerusalem and a new earth because both of them have betrayed their Creator. Both of them. Jerusalem is called a harlot, and the whole earth has turned its back on God as a whole. I say this from time to time, but I said, how would you like to be God, create everything, and get credit for nothing? That's where our culture has come in the world. God made everything good, and He don't get credit for anything. So there's going to be a need for a new Jerusalem and a new earth because both Jerusalem and the earth has betrayed its creator. Not only its creator, but its savior. Revelation is going to bring us to the reality of all that. And you're going to see in Revelation God talking about His people getting out, coming out, get out from the sin, get out. This is similar to what Moses did. If you go, if you talk to a, a a true student of the Jewish Old Testament, they would tell you that what went on in Egypt was a picture of things to come in the end of time. 
all the tribulation and the judgment and God preserving His people and getting His people out. Those are all pictures of, of the end of time. So, uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 9 and then we'll try to get into uh, uh, Revelation just for a moment before we quit tonight. In Daniel chapter 9, and I'll, I'll have to expound on this in some other moments during our teaching, but in Daniel chapter 9, we want to look at um, some verses here where he's being told about the end of time concerning his people. In verse 20 of Daniel chapter 9, let's look at it. It says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people. That's intercession, right? You, you're, you're praying for yourself and you're praying for others. The people of Israel, I'm presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, uh, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come now, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. So he's going to give him some clarity. He says, 70 weeks. Poor choice of word in the English, but we struggle sometimes bringing stuff over. Uh, the Hebrew word is Shabuah here. And the word Shabuah is a period of seven. All right? It doesn't mean weeks like we use the word weeks. So Hebrew, the Hebrew language is more contextual probably than any other language. So you've got to keep everything in context. And Hebrews think in block logic, not linear logic. God revealed himself in block logic. So Greeks, where a lot of us have got our learning over the years, are linear. Everything has to fit together. Well, the Hebrews can receive block logic. This can be true in a, in a box, so to speak. And so I may get into some of that with us too, but... He says, 70 Shabuas, or 70 sevens. All right, can you read it like that with me for a minute? 70 sevens are determined for your people and your holy city. Now listen to what he says. This is end time talk. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. Has any of that happened yet? No, has anybody watched the news lately? We had two mass shootings at colleges in the last three days. Sin is not over. So this is not fulfilled, right? It's not been fulfilled. Because the archangel, Gabriel, shows up and said, I'm going to show you some stuff. And he said, there's a time coming, he says, where uh, that's been determined for your people and your holy city. Now again, Jerusalem was put out. In A.D. 70. But that's not what he's talking about either. Why? This is where a lot of people are going crazy right now. There's some bad theology going on in the churches. And the devil showed up just in time, in the end of time, to distort a bunch of stuff. Why is A.D. 70 not the fulfillment of revelation in these prophecies? There's still sin. There's plenty of it. 
In fact, I would argue there's more sin now than there's ever been. So I think we can all come into agreement that sin has not been put in its place yet. It's not come to an end. He said, and notice what he says. He said, 77's Shabuas are determined for your people, that'd be the Israelites, and for, your, and for your holy city. Now, Jerusalem's been rebuilt, right? The next thing they're going to do is rebuild the temple. What I tell people, we know we're close to the end of time, but if you see Israel break out and start rebuilding that temple, figuratively speaking, you better get your bags packed because we're not long for this place. When they start rebuilding that temple, and somebody said, well, that'll take them years to... No, it won't. Not with modern technology and the zeal they'll have to build that thing. They'll probably have people dropping off jobs out of school and everything to build that thing. That's how much they carnally, at least soulishly, think about God. God will be first when that starts happening. And they'll throw the money into it. How many knows they got the money? They're blessed of God. Somebody told me 90% of the jewelry stores in New York City are owned by Jewish folks. So they are blessed of God, right? So you don't, don't sit back and think, well, it'll take them 20 years to build that. They'll have that thing built in a year or two, probably. They have a model, and this was years ago, a model of what they're going to do. Just that model that sits on the tabletop cost them a million dollars. That's how extravagant it was. I'm sure it's covered with gold and everything else that they're going to use. So it says, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. We can all agree that's not happened. To make a reconciliation for iniquity, that's not happened. To bring in everlasting righteousness, that's certainly not happened. He said, to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy, that's not happened. The last time we saw Jesus... Mentioned in the scripture, they crucified him. He rose from the dead. He didn't come in and overthrow Rome or nothing like that. He went back home. He went back home. But he's coming back. He's coming back, the Bible says in Revelation 19, with a sharp two-edged sword going out of his mouth. And on his thighs are written faithful and true. And his vestures dip in blood and he's riding a white horse. He's going to come back and he's going to be anointed in the world. He's already there. He's already got the office. But it's going to be every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, everything in the earth and under the earth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's going to be anointed the Most High. He will be the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He will be the King of the world and the universe. And Isaiah said, of his go- the government of the world will rest on His shoulders and of His government there will be no end. Somebody give the Lord praise. Amen. So these things haven't happened. They're going to happen. They're going to happen as sure as you and I are sitting here tonight. He said, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven Shabuas and 62 of them. How many does that make? 69, right? He said, From going forth of the command. And I, did, I didn't bring it with me tonight, but I'll bring it with me. Next week, I can show you from Artaxerxes' command to the time of Christ exactly 483 years or 69 sevens. Now, he said there's going to be 70 of them, didn't he? Why did he split them up? Because the time of the Gentiles came. What happened to Israel 
They got scattered. They didn't exist as a nation for 2,000 years. Why didn't God put the other, nation, other uh, powers and kingdoms in that image that Daniel saw? Because it was, Daniel was all to the Jews. They didn't deal with any of those other nations. They came back to life getting ready to deal with those ten toes. That's how they came back. So they didn't need to know all the other empires. They were scattered. They weren't existing as a nation. They were gone for nearly 2,000 years. They didn't even exist as a nation. So now that's why this separation took from 69 to 70. We find that other 70th week right here. That other 70th seven-year period is the tribulation period. Because the Bible says it's a time of Jacob's trouble. He said, Daniel, it's a time I'm going to deal with your people. That tribulation period is designed to bring Israel back home. Now, the fallout from that is other people get saved. This season we've been in is designed to bring the Gentiles in. Paul said, I'm turning from the Jews. From henceforth I go to the Gentiles. So this has been what Jesus called the time of the Gentiles. Now, the Jews, some of them have got the runoff, right? They've, some of them have been born again. So it's going to be this, this going to flip. The focus is going to go back on Israel, but there will be Gentiles getting saved during this time too. Nowhere else. I said, this world systems are going to collapse. How much of that we're going to see, I don't know. But these world, the world systems are going to collapse. That's God's gift to the blind people in the world. I'm talking about spiritually blind. That's His gift to them. Because when these systems start collapsing and they realize they can't trust in the, whatever the system is, then maybe they'll turn to God. That's a gift from God to cause things to collapse so that people can see who's really in charge and who they really need to trust in. And so then he goes on, he says, to restore and, re, and, and, to, uh, restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, or Shabuas, or sevens. And it's exactly, and I'll give you the dates, it's exactly, I did my home, I just didn't bring it with me, 483 years from the time Artaxerxes made the decree until Messiah. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Right? So you got the seven weeks, or the, and then the 62, and after those 62, which come after the seven, Messiah is going to be cut off, right? He's going to be crucified, but not for himself. He didn't die for himself. Who did he die for? Look in the mirror. It's us. We and He died for us. And the people, here we go. Now, remember this stuff as we study. And the people of the prince who is to come. See, Daniel hadn't been exposed to Rome. He's going to die before Rome shows up. But the people of the prince to come, what did he say about that king over there in Revelation 17? He said there's going to be another one to come, and he's going to be the seventh, and the beast is the eighth, but the beast is part of the seventh. Why? Because the beast enters into the seventh guy who's the Antichrist. So they become one and the same. you got the beast who's going to go in, Satan's going to go in to the, to the seventh king, that's what's going to make him the Antichrist. He's going to be indwelt with the spirit of Satan like Christ was filled or indwelt with the spirit of God. Because everything the devil does, he tries to mimic Christ to try and deceive. He's a great deceiver. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded them, right? So he's, that's what he's done. He's blinded them. And he says, uh, Messiah and the people of the princes to come 
That's similar language to what John's using over there in 17. Shall to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, he didn't say the prince would do that. He said there's a prince to come that's coming out of this people. Who is this people? This people is Rome. Rome's the two legs, right? We'll get some of this. I'll try to get some more stuff where we can show you on the TVs ready for next week. The Western and East. Isn't God beautiful how He shows us things? That image, when it gets to the legs, it represents Rome because they, they were divided. They, they, the, the torso, at the end of the torso, and then they became, Rome became divided, east and west. God's beautiful. At how he's, so the prince that's going to come, which is going to be this Antichrist or this other king in Revelation 17, he's not come, but his people's going to get here before he does. Right? And so Rome's going to over Titus is the one that ransacked Jerusalem. Then the, Rome's going to collapse because of, of their vileness, of their againstness of God, everything they did against God. And then that prince will come when they get revived because his time is not yet. Right? And he says, Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end shall be with the flood, and the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one Shabuah. There's that last Shabuah. The Antichrist for the Great Tribulation is going to make a covenant with Israel and other nations, but the big focus is on Israel. The Antichrist is going to lie to them. They're going to think that he is the Christ. Some of them are, at least. And they're going to, they're going to make a covenant with him. And then Jesus talks about this, and Daniel talks about, in the middle of that Tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to go in the temple that they've rebuilt, and he's going to proclaim himself to be God. And that's when their eyes are going to open. And they're going to have to flee to Petra and places like that, the Bible says. But he, he's a deceiver and a liar. This is ironic. But I read an article one time about a Jewish... Um, he was high up in, in their order, a Jewish rabbi. And he said, We're, because they, you know, they can't even put their child on a bus without wondering if it's going to get blown up. Or go to the pizza parlor. If you think it's rough living in America, and it is in some cities, but Israel's dealt with that for years. But he, he said this. He made this statement. He said, we're so desperate for peace here in Israel. He said, we'd make a deal with the devil. And that's exactly what they're going to do. It's exactly what they're going to do. But it's all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. God's allowing all this stuff to happen. He says, in the, but in the middle of the week, this, this king, this prince that's coming... There's going to be a king as well. That The Antichrist is going to be indwelt by Satan, according to Revelation. He's going to make this last 70 years. So between 69 and 70, Israel was gone as a nation. They just now, in our generation, have come back. That tells you how close we are. And a lot of folks, I grew up hearing people say, uh, you know, well, the countdown started when Israel became a nation. I disagree with that. Because of what Jesus said in Luke 21. Obviously, Israel had to become a nation for what happened in 1967 to happen, right? They had to become a nation again and get back in their homeland. But what Jesus hinged his words on was Jerusalem. And if you'll go back and read the prophets in the Old Testament, most of what they talk about is Jerusalem. Because that's the only city in the world that God put his name on. He didn't put it on Lexington. He didn't put it on Chicago. He didn't put it on Moscow. He didn't put it on Danville. 
God put His name on Jerusalem. He laid claim to that city. And so that city is what hinges. And if you, if you read the prophets, and I don't know if this is still true. I wouldn't doubt if it's not still true. But, but years ago, I read an article where when the UN met, if they met and had a hundred things on their agenda, over 50 of them every time would be about Israel. That's, and, and the Bible says uh, Jerusalem would become a stumbling block to all nations. And Israel's not much bigger than Maryland. And you've got all these countries in the world, but everybody's obsessed with that. Why? It's Satan. Most of the world could care less about God. There's few going to heaven. Many are going to hell. Right? Jesus made that plain. So the reality is that they hate Israel. I, I can't believe some of the people in, our, in Washington, D.C. that are Jews that work against Israel. You've got to be really blind to do that. Some of them are Jews. It would shock you if I named some names of people in Washington, D.C. that are Jews that work against Israel. The Bible says if you work against Israel, you're going to be cursed. And so we're living in the last days. We don't know the day nor the hour, but we know we're in that season. We're coming close to the end of time. We need to know what Jesus has left us to know, not so we can be puffed up and know more than somebody else, so we can be effective witnesses. You know, there are people in my circle that don't know God. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I can Usually they'll let me talk to them about the end of time. Everybody is concerned with their destiny. And when everybody knows they're getting older too, right? We, we just, we're just racing toward either the Lord coming back for all of us or our funeral. <laughs> I mean, that's where we're headed. And so God... We people are concerned about their destiny. You start telling them about the church and all that stuff, they they may blow you off. But you start talking about what are you going to do when this life's over for you? I think it was Charles Spurgeon, whom I, I may have shared this before. He they said uh, he had a Christian professor in law school. He was going to be a lawyer. He wound up being one of the most prolific preachers the world's ever known. But he said, uh, when he got his law degree, his professor, he was meeting with his, his professor, probably his advisor for the last time. And he, he went up, he had him in his office, and he said, now, Charles said, uh, now that you've graduated, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I guess I'll get me an apprenticeship. And he said, and then what? He said, well, I, I guess I'll make partner. He said, and then what? He said, well, I may try to do my own law firm. He said, and then what? He said, well, I guess I'll find me a wife. And he said, and then what? He said, I guess we'll have a family and children and grow, grow old together. He said, and then what? He said, well, I guess I'll retire. And he said, well, and then what? He said, well, I guess I'll die. And he said, and then what? There's a then what for all of us, isn't there? And Charles Spurgeon left there. Didn't become a lawyer, became a preacher. And that was probably God's whole plan. But what about the then what? Maybe you need to tell some of the people you love about the then what. Then what? Then what? Hey, 
You wake up one day and you're 23. You wake up two days later and you're 49. Am I talking to anybody? <laughs> I mean, that's just how it works. <laughs> I don't know how many days I lost out in Amarillo, Texas, but you, you go, they put you on something better than moonshine out there and take you, <laughs> take you behind closed doors and come out and you don't know what's happened. My wife said when I woke up, I was telling everybody I loved them. All the nurses, the doctors, all the orderlies, everybody come in. And one of the nurses said, I'm going to tell your wife. I said, it, it don't matter. It's agape. I'm loving you with agape love. But I told my wife, I said, because I was still out of it some, right? And I said, I'm glad that's what come out of me. Because I've been around some folks coming off of anesthesia. And it ain't always good stuff. That come. Am I talking right, Jonathan? Am I talking, am I talking right, Kim? I'm glad that's what come out of me, right? Out of, so, you, what about the then what's? I'm talking to you that are watching us tonight live around the world are going to get this podcast. What about the then what? What about it? Let's just end right there. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and we, we want to know it. So it'll impact us, so it'll make us more like you, and also so to make us more effective witnesses, so that when we have a question in front of us or have someone in front of us that will be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in us. We're running out of things, not that we should have ever done it before, but we're running out of things to hope for down here. Uh, but we can still hope in your word and your plan, and let us be ready to give an answer to the people for that. God, my heart and mind as I continue to study and I'm trying to grow myself during all this, Lord, and I want you to teach me so that we can, that this church and this ministry can be effective witnesses as we come to the end of this age and that we can be more like you. In Jesus' name. Everybody sit.